The sermon this afternoon was prepared by Reverend Rolfden Hollander, minister of the Covenant Canadian Reformed Church at Grassy, Ontario. After the sermon, we'll sing in response from Psalm 34, stanzas 2 and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, give us today our daily bread. How honestly do we pray that petition? Give us today our daily bread. In the context, Jesus also gives that well-known teaching about worry, about being anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. We need that encouragement about worry and anxiety. There's so much of that around us. But is it the same? We worry about what we'll eat, Maybe when you're having friends and family over and you're not sure what to serve. Do they have any dietary concerns? Are they going to like it? What if I burn it? We worry about what we'll wear. Maybe we're, when we're standing in front of our closet and we have to pick out between many possible outfits and wondering how it will look or what others will think of what we're wearing. But that's not what Jesus' point is, is it? He says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's talking about anxiety over whether there's food for tomorrow, drink for tomorrow, clothing to, clothing to put on for tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Then give us today our daily bread is a very real prayer. As long as I have food for today, not what food, or how much, or whether we'll like it. As long as I have clothing for today, not how much or what. Do you think along these lines? Are you concerned, worried, about whether you'll eat or drink or have clothing to wear today? Did the thought cross your mind this morning when you woke up? Don't we generally have fridges? Pantries, freezers full of food, closets amply supplied with clothes. And if things start to run low, whatever our standard of low is, we go to the grocery store or clothing store and pick out something else or something more. Give us today our daily bread. How honestly do you pray that petition? We do live in an affluent Western culture. Certainly in the West, here too, there's a lot of poverty. But we're not thinking about how they pray this petition. We're here gathered this afternoon to think about how we pray this petition. And by God's goodness, here we have the deacons doing their ministry of mercy. And every year again, they're able to supply the needs of many others beyond our borders because the need here is easily met. So what are we to learn in this petition? What is our greatest need in this setting when it comes to the fourth petition? What is our greatest need in a situation where we have our daily bread and then some? I dare say it's a need for understanding or refreshed understanding or reminded understanding of where we place our trust. Jesus teaches us the fourth petition as an expression of where we place our trust. That's picking up especially the last part of our Lord's Day this afternoon. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures 
and place it only in you. That's where we draw the summary for the word of God as it is preached this afternoon. And the theme and points are, Jesus teaches us to pray, to prayerfully place our trust only in our Father. First in humility, then in thankfulness, and also in confidence. So the first point, in humility. God is dead. It's a widely quoted statement of the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. It's also now used in a series of Christian films to refute it. God is not dead. Nietzsche believed that the age of the Enlightenment needed, ended the need for God. Western society was Christian in origin, but the age of the Enlightenment showed that God wasn't needed in daily life. Science, rationalism, materialism, naturalism, they, for all intents and purposes, pushed aside God's role in history and the destiny, destiny of the world. Science could explain origins, climate patterns, weather events, Materialism and naturalism denied the supernatural and suggested that everything is simply explainable and achievable in human, earthly terms. God is dead. Simply, in Western society, we've developed things so well that we have no need for him anymore. His place is past. We find that we can trust ourselves to achieve what we want. We just have to set our minds to it and our backs to the work. Oh, sure, the American model, motto to the South may be, in God we trust, but is that really true? Nietzsche wasn't really saying anything new, though, was he? Today's mindset isn't a surprise, is it? We read from Genesis 11. We read from Genesis 11. Back then, the people said it already. Come, let us build ourselves a city, and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Who needs the name of the Lord our God when we can make a name for ourselves? Listen even to what God says. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. God knows that he created men and women with the ability to work and to achieve but to give him the glory. This was God-defying. He knew that they would have no use for God, but begin to boast in their own achievements. So we can say, in mercy, he changed their languages. In mercy, he dispersed them, so that they would not be able to say, God is dead. We don't need him anymore. It's an illustration of what we read in Psalm 127. The words of verse 1 are probably quite familiar to many of us. They're catchy, memorable sayings. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. There's a lot of wisdom packed into there. It's obviously far more than a catchy, memorable saying. Sorry, it's obviously far more than a catchy, memorable saying. Unless the Lord builds the house, Solomon himself knew of building projects. The city of Jerusalem thrived under Solomon's reign. Psalm 48 sings of it, the city of Zion. Walk about Zion, 
Go around her, number her towers, consider her ramparts. Go through her citadels. No doubt the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem would do that too, look around themselves, likely singing Psalm 127 as they went. It was a majestic city, yet, confesses Solomon, only under the Lord's blessing. They could not say, as God had warned for many years earlier through Moses, my power and the might of my hands have gotten me this wealth. No, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. House and city. The house, we could say, is more personal, individual. Everyone has their own house. And together, they live in the city. That's more the community. Cities appointed watchmen to guard the city. They might sit on those city walls, in towers, or at strategic parts around the city. And daily, they'd scan the horizon to watch for approaching enemies. Nighttime was an especially anxious time. Would anyone creep up under the cover of darkness? Day and night, they kept watch for the safety of the city. They had to ensure that the city could keep functioning, that people could go about their daily work without hindrance. They were protecting the local economy from evaders. The picture Solomon presents is one that covers all of life, home life and city life. Building the house isn't just putting up the physical house, the walls, the roof, and every other part of the building of a house. It's everything that's involved in the running of that house, even in the growth of the family. So you see, verse 1 of Psalm 127 isn't just about a house and a city. It's about daily life, what happens in the home, what happens in society. The economy of a house, the economy of the city. It covers all of daily life. And that's why these words fit with this petition, our daily bread. Grain comes off the field. It has to be shipped, processed, packaged, shipped again, put on the shelf in the store somewhere, maybe Sobeys, Superstore, Food Basics, before it might end up as bread in your home and on the table because you browsed the shelves or did click and collect. Our daily bread is about an entire economy, the building of your house and the protection of a city, the development and growth of a society. And how much energy is put into all these things, our work at home and in the city and in society, our care and labor, to use the words of the Lord's Day. Work is the endless pursuit of our day and age, to save up for bigger and better homes, to invest for future outstanding vacations, to make up for the business, to move up the business ladder for a higher and higher income. And before you know it, it consumes all your time and attention. But you can do all that, Solomon says, but you can do all that you want, Solomon says in this psalm, and it may all be for nothing. He's honest elsewhere. He says he tried it, and it was depressing. 
So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labor under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. So unless the Lord builds it, unless the Lord watches over it, unless the Lord gives his blessing over it all, it's all in vain. Vain. It's not quite the same word as the preacher uses in Ecclesiastes repeatedly, but close. It has the same scope. It means worthless or empty. And that doesn't even have to mean that there's nothing to show for the hard work. Maybe there is a big house. Maybe there is a thriving city. But what's it worth? What's the, re- what's the result? And how did we get there? Only under the Lord's blessing. Our care and our labor cannot do us any good without God's blessing. Jesus knows what lives in our hearts, the danger of self-reliance or of self-sufficiency in our affluent culture. He knows that we quickly forget that it's not my power and the strength of my hands. Jesus teaches us to ask our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Give. Not the give of Proverbs 30, verse 15, where it says, the leech has two daughters, give and give. A leech is never satisfied. It never has enough. It always wants more. There's no such thing as too much. Not that kind of give. No, we pray, give. As in Proverbs 30, verse 8, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? That's the part we wrestle with in our culture. God is dead in our culture because we are full. So Jesus teaches us to ask. Because when you ask, you have to admit that you don't have it of yourself. I don't know how it is for you all, but those who know me enough know that I have a hard time asking for help. It exposes our limits, our weaknesses. We have to admit that we can't just do it all. It requires humility, dependence. Jesus teaches us to ask in humility and dependence. It puts our work ethic in perspective. We pride ourselves on a good work ethic. If you want to achieve something, you work at it, right? We're generally ready to put in hard work. And if the going gets tough, well, there's the saying, the tough get going. Long hours, sometimes too much. And then we lose perspective. Oh, Father, give us today our daily bread. Grant that we may withdraw our trust in all creatures and place it only in you. Yes, withdraw our trust our trust from all creatures, especially myself. Help me, Father, to realize that even my care and labor can't do me any good without your blessing. Isn't that the wonder of God's covenant? The covenant he made with Abram? The covenant he made with Abraham, we read in Genesis 12. The covenant in Christ, which is also our covenant. I will make of you a great nation, And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. We put our trust only in the Father in humility. 
the Father who is the only fountain of all good. And so we pray in thankfulness, our second point. Jesus teaches us to say, give. That teaches us, we said, humility. We depend on him. It also teaches us that our Father in heaven is the giver. Otherwise, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't teach us to say give. But he knows his own Father as the great giver. And he himself is the prime example of that. Jesus said to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. He's talking about his own Father and himself. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. What a gift! We can hardly even begin to understand or fully appreciate the fullness of that gift. Some time ago, we celebrated Christmas. Christ, God's Son, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The eternal Son of God, full of divine glory and majesty, emptied himself to take on our weak and human flesh with all its infirmities. That's so that he could make God known to us, so that we would know the Father, have a relationship with the Father. Weak flesh that he could experience our pain and suffering only to a far greater measure on the cross. He knew that he came to die, and how? To suffer the pain and anguish of hell, of God-forsakenness. God the Father offered his only well-beloved Son to come to earth, to be, made per- to, be, to be made the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He willingly forsook his own beloved son to satisfy his own wrath against sin. It's beyond understanding. And all the time Jesus was on earth then, he suffered. We might give thought to the time he lived when he walked and talked on this earth. How, how he can now sympathize with us in our pain because of his pain, in our temptation, because of his temptation, in our suffering, because of his suffering, in our weariness, because of his weariness. We draw comfort from knowing that he kept the law perfectly. With his innocence and perfect holiness, he covers my sin in which I was conceived and born. My daily struggle with sin, my constant battle, sometimes against the very same weakness, he covers in the sight of God when in humility and repentance we cry out to him. Beloved, that moves us to gratitude, doesn't it? It must. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness. Thankfulness not just for Christ, The Apostle Paul asked that familiar question. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, hear it again, gave him up for us all. What a gift. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? With him graciously give us all things. 
No wonder the apostle can then say elsewhere, give thanks in all circumstances, because the Father who gave up his only Son graciously gives us all things. That's what we have in mind when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Our Father in heaven, we are so deeply thankful to you for the gracious gift of your Son. You've not spared him from your own wrath and judgment so that we could have life. And we know and trust that because you have not spared your own son, you'll also graciously give us all things. Or the words of the Lord's Day this afternoon, provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good. You are the only fountain of all good. We won't find that goodness anywhere else. Everything else is vanity, fleeting, meaningless. In the words of the Epistle James, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If God is the giver, who with his Son graciously gives us all things, then in thankfulness we trust God gives us what we need. And we learn contentment. We ward off covetousness and envy because what we have, we have from God. Yes, even what the world has, the world has from God. We don't have to look with envy there either. God apportions to each what they have. It's not just the case that we have everything from God and the world gets it from elsewhere. David says it in Psalm 17. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. So you hear it in there, you fill their womb with treasure. The difference is their portion is in this life. Their fill is in this life. We know that there's far more. We can't cling to the things of this life. Food, drink, clothing, shelter. They're all things that moth and rust destroy. They're gifts from the Lord for our bodily needs. They're to be used not for our fill in this life, but in service to him. Filled with thankfulness for them, as the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, he speaks of food that God created to be received with thanksgiving. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. When Jesus teaches us to say, give us today our daily bread, that's what we ought to think of. God gives our bread to be received with thanksgiving. God gives our drink to be received with thanksgiving. God gives our clothing to be received with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, because we trust not in ourselves, in our own ability to provide, but in God's abundant blessing, confident that he will provide. And that's our third point, in confidence. Our Lord's Day ended. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. Who is this you? The one we addressed in our prayer, our Father in heaven. We put our trust in our Father in heaven. 
And that will allow us to pray confidently. For it is the same Father who gave up his only Son, who sent his Son to be born as a baby, to suffer and to die, to be forsaken on the tree of the cross, and through his shed blood that we might be adopted as as his children. And if an earthly father knows how to provide for his children, Jesus himself says, how much more your heavenly father. And in his Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious about anything, food, clothing. The pagans run run after all these things, and your heavenly father, he knows that you need them. He knows. We heard it a few moments ago, too. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the source of our confidence. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, we don't doubt that he will do just that. He is a God faithful to his promises. What he said to Abram, he brought about. In all In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Real blessing, found only in Christ. Spiritual blessing, eternal blessing. Yes, beloved, even when we pray for something as simple as bread, we're looking at the cross. We're considering in it God's faithfulness to all his promises. We're remembering the work of Jesus Christ in washing us from our sins. We're considering the price he paid to save us from our slavery to sin. And we're appreciating that as the gift of our Father in heaven, the source of our confidence. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. Rich, first of all, toward God in faith. And rich in having the confidence that with Christ we will receive everything we need for body and soul. As we confess in Lord's Day 9, in him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversary he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as faithful Father. In prayer, we express our confident trust only in God. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, says David in Psalm 20, verse 7. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And here's his confidence. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. Beloved, you may not be immediately worried about whether there will be food or drink or clothing today, never mind tomorrow. Our worry ought to be that in our wealth, our full bellies, our warm clothes, and our comfortable homes, we forget God and we say, I don't need you. Maybe not in words, but in actions. We may be grateful to Jesus for teaching us to pray, give us today our daily bread, because there he teaches us to prayerfully put our trust only in God. If we rely on him for something as simple as bread, we rely on him for everything. For from him and to him and through him are all things. Amen.
And let us rise and sing from Psalm 34, stanzas 2 and 3.